Hallelujah. You may be seated in the presence of God. Amen. Hallelujah. So nothing has changed out there. We're still seeing uh, a lot of hate, a lot of anger. But you know, I thank God that um, his love is with us. I thank God that he has sent us. We are sent ones into the world. We have to show and mentor and model God's love, especially more now than ever before. Um, What's happening is, and most people get caught up with this, is the media won't share with you all of the good things that are happening. They will only share with you um, the nonsense, the anger, the hate, the rhetoric. It's what pulls in ratings. And it's their bent. You know, have you ever heard of something called gossip? What do you think about gossip? It destroys. It's a terrible thing, but people love it. It's infectious. Something about our fallen nature that just loves to hear a terrible story about somebody else. I don't get it, but it's part of our nature. So the news took it to a quantum level. They now share gossip all over the United States all the time. Most of what you hear today in the news is gossip or just talking about bad or terrible news. How does Channel 7 Eyewitness News open up? Every, every night at 11 o'clock. Huh? This one died, this fire here, this person was stolen, this person got beat up. It's just the way it is. They don't open up and says, this church did a great job over here, this person's needs were met. You know, they don't talk about it. If they talk about anything good, it's one little blip in, in the mid part, just before the, the, the weather. Or right after the weather, just before the sports. Just a, a, a little snippet. That's a terrible thing. But yet, that's the truth. So, thank God, I, I appreciate uh, things like um, Facebook and, and Twitter right now that you're able to... Some of the great things that are happening in our midst, you know, wonderful stories, we, we get to hear them from time to time, right? Yeah. I appreciate that. I so much appreciate it. I remember one time um, uh, in, in, a, in a church... Uh, there was an elderly lady, she came in, and a brand new usher, brand new usher, uh, went to seat her, and she says, can I sit in the front? She says, um, don't, wouldn't you rather sit in the middle or toward, toward the back? Uh, she said, no, I want to sit in the front. He says, man, you know, the problem is, is our pastor, when he preaches, he spits at people. <laughs> and he says, you really don't want to sit in the front, and... I would prefer you sit in the middle or in the back. Holy Spirit, yeah, right? So, so uh, she says, do you know who I am? She says, do you know who I am? And he says, no, I don't know who you are. Says, I'm the pastor's mother. So he thinks about it a while, and while he's bringing her to the front, he says, ma'am, do you know who I am? She says, uh, actually, no, I don't. She says, good, let's keep it that way. <laughs> Praise God. The, the truth of the matter, <laughs> the, the truth of the matter is, it's very important for us to know each other today more than ever before, and, and know the God in us. Amen. I, I need to know um, who you are in Christ. Very, very vital and very important. Let me read. A, uh, I'm going to read one verse in two different uh, versions because I want to talk today uh, a couple of minutes about what we're really called to do, and at the same time, um, some of the things we have to deal with internally. 
in this season because it's a very uh, dangerous time in our nation. But, you know, thank God for salt. Thank God for salt. Some people say, well, why did the preacher just change to a cooking program now? No, the Bible calls us salt. Salt and light. Why salt? Well, for any person that cooks, you know salt makes things taste better, right? But it also preserves. So thank God for the church today. This morning I was listening to my friend, uh, Pastor Dimas Salabarius. He was uh, on, on one of the news channels, and he was sharing how important it is for the church to be engaged in our inner cities today. You know, you have a lot of fracases, a lot of uh, fighting going on uh, in the communities. You have fighting going on sometimes between a community and the police department. So the church should be also actively engaged there, you know, bringing that. Uh, um, it's almost like a friend of mine, he got hurt in his back. And what happened was is that between each and every what, what do you call that? A vertebrae, right? There's almost like a, a liquid there or some rubbery thing. Yeah, but th- it's a rubbery thing. And what it does is it doesn't allow bone to touch bone, right? If bone touches bone, what happens? It becomes very painful. So it's the same thing in a car. I love an engine because an engine uh, is, is, is something that propels the car or the, the vehicle from point A to point B. But are you aware that a vehicle, basically, in the context of the engine, inside the engine, there's a continual explosion going on, right? But what allows the piston to go up and down the shaft without burning up? Because friction creates, it's the oil. It's the oil. So the church in a community is the oil that can bring healing so that we can walk together, live together, and not destroy each other. It's the word of the Lord coming from the church that's going to help to start to bring healing in our communities. And that's top down. Really, it's top down. We need to be available there. So Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. I'm going to read it from the New Living Translation, then I'm going to read it from an old version called the Phillips Translation, because I want to bring a point out from it. And when you're studying the scripture, um, obviously the, one of the most accurate versions are the King James, but if you're going to do the study, you could use other versions just to compare and to may, maybe get a, a, a greater, almost like a diamond view, a multifaceted view when you're studying especially those of you that want to uh, become preachers and teachers in the future. Um, It's good to look at various versions from time to time as you're studying. Okay, if you have it, Romans chapter 12, verse 2. I'm going to read it from the first, from the New Living Translation, then from the Phillips. It says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. That could preach for an entire month. Don't copy the actions out there. If they're hating, you don't hate. You love instead. You understand? Don't copy the behavior and the customs of the world. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good, pleasing, and perfect. Okay? Now look at the Phillips. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its own mold. Interesting. See, the more you hang out with people, 
whether it's a certain group, whether it's a job, they're going to always try to fit you into their own mold. Says, but the Bible says, don't let the world around you squeeze you into its own mold. But let God remake you so that your whole attitude of mind is changed. So in this version, mind also includes attitude. And you know attitude will make or break you. You know that. In every instance, attitude will make you or break you. Says, thus, you will prove in practice that the will of God is good, acceptable to him, and perfect. So not only is there a mind thing where we think, but then there is a practice of what we think. So there is a thinking process, and then there are actions. And we know faith has actions. Faith has works. Right? So how does the world see our actions? Is it in line with his word? Or are, are our actions the exact same as the world? See? God is expecting our actions to be more in line with his word, with his kingdom, and with his principles. Because it's only there that the world is going to see the difference. The preaching and the living. And most people, actually there's a word for that. If you say one thing and do another, what is that called? Double-minded. Double-minded. What else? That's the word I was looking for. But yeah, contradiction is a contradiction. If you say one thing, but you do something else, it's a type of hypocrisy. That's what it is, you see? And when the world sees that, when anybody sees that, they don't like that because it's incongruent. We should more and more fall in line and be congruent with what the Word of God says versus what we're seeing out there in the world today. Christians must remember that there's no such thing as an instant perfect Christian. We are in process. Say your neighbor, we're in process. We're on a journey. We're on a journey. And one of the things that love does is it allows us to grow up in our setting without us beating each other up. I have come to learn that as, as a local church, our job is not to be beating people up and to be judgmental on each other, uh, you know, berating each other, and to, you know, get into this phone ministry, this gossip thing. I, 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 don't, I don't need to, you know, to beat you down. I need to build you up. We should always be connected with three type of people. You should always have a fatherly or motherly figure around you. You should always have a Paul, somebody like a Paul that can instruct you. You should always have somebody like a Barnabas who just loves you with your hair up or with your hair down, with a lot of hair or no hair. You should always have somebody in the kingdom of God that loves you for who you are and is willing to work with you and, and willing to appreciate you, you know? That's very important. And you should always have a Timothy, somebody that you're mentoring. Is anybody that you're ministering to right now? Is anybody that you're preaching to right now? Anybody that you're loving on right now? You should always have somebody like that. Because you are not made as a container to just receive and never give. You are called to be almost like a running river. You receive and you give. You receive and you give. And the more you receive, the more you give. See, it's precious. That's the way it should be. It's a conduit. We should be a conduit. Openly flowing, uh, receiving the love of God and giving the love of God. But the truth of the matter is, there's no instant maturity. And then the other thing, in churches, you're always going to find people in different parts of their journey. Some are just starting out. Some have been there 30 years. And we should be able to understand that and not beat up on each other. 
You know, one of the greatest tragedies that I find in Scripture is the one where the king, he is in his palace, and he's looking around in his palace, and he saw a little field not too far from his house. And this little field was beautiful and had gardens in it. It was a nice patch garden. It was Naboth's patch of land, right? So the king liked it so much he wanted it. So he sent emissaries to Naboth to buy the field off of him. And Naboth said, no, I can't sell this. This is all that I have. This belongs to my father. It was an inheritance. And so I need to keep this thing. This was precious to me and my family. This is all we have. The king had everything. The king didn't need that particular plot of land. So he goes into his room and he's sulking in his room because he didn't get the patch of land. He's so used to having everything, right? Spoiled king, right? So his wife comes in and he says, why is my lord uh, so sad? He says, because Naboth won't sell me his property. She says, oh, you want his property? I'll get it for you, no problem. So you know what his wife did? The queen? She went, lied about him, sent some people to arrest him and have him killed. Her name, by the way, was Jezebel. That's, why, that's one of the reasons why her name is so famous, because she was so downright evil. Had the poor guy killed. Now, this is the, the thing I want to say. This man's land was close to the king. Shouldn't it have been protected because he was next to the king? But instead, it became a very dangerous place to be because the king, in this case, was petty and jealous Immature, irresponsible, it's just a horrible heart. Let me tell you, people should feel their safest around you. Because you have the spirit of the king in you. They shouldn't feel like they're in danger. They shouldn't feel like they're going to be destroyed. And I'm not beating any one of you. I'm just bringing up, I'm bringing a principle. That in the church, we should feel safe. Yes, yes we have our issues. We got a, um, a letter not so long ago, my wife and I, from somebody who ministered here years ago. But they had a, a little smoking issue. Just, you know, just a smoking issue. I mean, that's not good for you. We know that. But she was on a journey, and, you know, she went outside afterwards and had a little cigarette, and some of us saw her. And I saw her, and I said, that's, that's her business. You know, I mean, she knows the word and she knows that this is the temple of the Holy Ghost. And, you know, I believe she's going to get that revelation that she's going to, and the spirit of God is going to tell her, you know, she's on a journey. I understand that, you know, but I was raised up in a church that we saw that we would have gone right up to the person and said, you need to repent right away. You know, if you, if you don't stop that nonsense, you know, you're going to have to leave the church. Huh? The church is the hospital. This is the place where we come to get healed. So this is the place where we build them up. We bring them in. They're little babies. You know, when a baby first is born, you, you, you don't get upset when the baby wets his diapers, right? What do you do? You change their diaper. When they eat the food and they burp and all the food's all over the place, right? When you, when you put them on your shoulders and you go like that, what happens? It's all over you, right? And this is what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to hold them and celebrate some of that. Okay, nice baby. And just, no, that's just the way it is. But that's the season that they're in. So if I have some people in here that are wetting their diapers or burping and, you know, burping, I said, that's all right. That's, that's the level you're at. But you're going to grow. 
I, I, I don't know if, I, if anybody's understanding where I'm coming from right now. But you know, the church, we need to understand as the children of God that this is the safest place. A, a, a sinner should be able to come in here. When I say a pre-Christian, should come in here and feel, oh, praise God. I, I, I'm feeling the tug of God. I know what I'm doing is wrong, but somehow or another, these people are loving on me. And I feel good here. I'm going to stay here a while. I'm going to grow here. And, and I'm going to be able to shift my life. Amen? It's a journey. We are on a journey. Say to your neighbor, we're on a journey. Becoming a Christian is a lifelong adventure. We're saved by faith instantly. We have the righteousness of God instantly. But now our lifestyle is a journey because the changing of the mind takes time. Somebody once told me, many times I heard this, and I want to I, I sort of like shift this a little. Somebody once told me that if you do something for 30 days, it'll become a habit. Somebody once told me if you have a habit and you do something different for 30 days, you'll lose that habit. I disagree with that. It takes more like a year. I know because I've tried it many times. I do stuff for 30 days, I still go right back to the same stuff because you still have the same... It takes time because the brain is made in such a way that what you do consistently over and over and gives you uh, uh, pleasure, it literally creates a permanent marker in the brain. So in order to dissolve that thing, it takes about a good year. And in many cases, it doesn't dissolve. It just creates a new route. So your brain fires up in another way, but that's still the same old thing is there. Like, for example, I'll give you an example. Let's go back to the smoking. You were a smoker. If you pass by somebody who's smoking a cigarette and you haven't done it for six months, let's say, and you smell the smoke, what does it do to you? You have that same desire. If you used to drink and you stop drinking, three years from now, you smell the same thing. And you say, wow, I remember them days. It comes back immediately. Why? Because it's still in the mind. See? So we have to renew our mind, but there are corresponding actions that we have to take to renew our life. So if I use, the Bible says if you did this before, if you stole before, don't steal anymore. See? So correspondingly, the actions we used to do, we don't do anymore. Why? Because the Bible says so. Because the Bible says, this is not your new life anymore. Your new life now has this lifestyle, has this paradigm. So what happens is, as we're living the new life, the old life is going to continue to call to us. But every single day, we call out to the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, give me strength today. Help me in my struggle. Help me in my challenge. Help me in this issue. And the Holy Spirit will help you because he lives within you. Amen? Amen. Say, thank you, Lord, for your Holy Spirit. See, so several of the things we have to watch for in this day, is how we get along with others. How we get along with others. John 17, 21. It is my concerted effort every day to try to get along with people. Right? But not to change my Christianity in order to do that. If somebody, in order for me to get along with him, wants me to go, let's say, and take drugs, that's going to that's gonna shift our relationship. Because that's not where I belong anymore. I am a, 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 what the Bible calls us kings and priests unto the Lord, right? We are royal citizenry. We're a royal priesthood. Isn't that true? Yes. Our, our heavenly father, isn't he a king? Yes. Isn't he the king of kings? Yes. Isn't he almighty God? So what does that make us? If he's a king, what does it make us? See, we're royal. We, we, we now belong to a royal family. A royal family does not 
act that way. It acts differently. You understand? So your lineage now is different from what it used to be. I know where you're from. No, no. You used to know me. That person is dead. I'm a new creation. I am new in Christ. So the life I live now, I live by the faith of the Son of God. See, but my actions now start coming in line with my new life. As the Holy Spirit helps me every day, as I study His Word, as I pray, as I seek God, I start realizing the Spirit of God starts, it's almost like an onion. You peel it layer by layer. He starts showing you one by one. This habit, my son, my daughter, you have to let that go. And you feel it. You feel that, that conviction. And praise God for that conviction. Because if you didn't have that conviction, you would just keep on doing your own mess. But the Spirit of God gives you the conviction you need to start shifting your life little by little. Praise God. Now, there are people, I have heard this over and over again, that get delivered immediately. They were taking drugs for years and suddenly, bam, no more. Just no fear. There are others that struggle. Amen. Some people have that instantaneous shift, and I appreciate that. Instantaneous shift. But there are others that they have to fight that process. They have to go little by little, step by step, line upon line, precept upon precept. So the first thing is, Getting along with others, but in such a way as your light can shine. Some people you're not going to get along with. Say to your neighbor, some people, I'm sorry, you're not going to get along with. Because the Spirit of God in you is going to irk them. It's going to rub them the wrong way. I know what I'm talking about. Some people don't like me just because I'm alive. Oh, yeah, yeah. They can't stand me, but they don't understand. It's the Spirit of God they're having a problem with. That's in me. So you have to be okay with that. The Bible says, do your best to try to get along with everyone. That's it. You do your best. But there's somebody that, if somebody doesn't like you, don't sweat it. You'll be at peace. You know what Jesus said? If you come into a city and they don't accept your message, turn around and go like that. Wipe the dust from off your feet and keep on walking. You'll be at peace. Now, if they come back to you and want prayer and they they come back to you and they want to discuss a little more, you discuss it with them because that's your job, to share the gospel. Amen? Praise the Lord. The other thing we have to consider is how much contentment do we have in ourselves. In other words, I know that there's a preaching out there called the prosperity preaching. And to a certain degree, our God's a prosperity God. God loves to bless his people. He blessed Abram. He he blessed David. He he blessed uh, uh, Joseph. You know, we, we know that, that God can bless and God can provide. And God does bless and God does provide. But... Paul also said there are times we need to be content in times of difficulty. In whatever place we find ourselves, we need to learn how to be content. And you, you, you can't be in a struggle with that. You have to be at peace. Where are you right now? Well, I, I owe some money. Well, be at, be at peace with that because God's going to help you in that process. Well, I, I want to have a home. I only have an apartment. Well, thank God for that apartment because some people don't have a home. You know, well, I don't have a car. Well, thank God that we're in a place where we have a train. I use a train every week. And I love them trains that have air conditioning, especially the ones that have air conditioning. But the truth of the matter is we learn, we must learn to be content where we're at. And then from that place, what will happen is God will start to move upon your life. God will start to give you wisdom and strategies. And you'll realize there's more than what you Or rather, you will see that there's more than what you realize. In your life, you need to understand that hidden inside of you, there are substances, there there is wisdom, there are resources that people haven't seen and you haven't seen either. 
and I want to dig a little deeper. Right now, God is just overwhelming me with this. He's just letting you know today that you are more than what you think. You're more than what you realize. He loves you so much that he deposited stuff in you that will carry you throughout the process of your entire life. And because he loves you, he's going to bring you into relationship that people that are going to be able to help you. He's going to bring you into relationship with people that you can help also. Hallelujah. So be content, but in your place of contentment, that's where you're going to find the provision. That's where you're going to find the provision. Remember when Jesus was feeding the multitude? What did he do? He asked the disciples, what do you have? They looked around. They said, we don't have anything. And then they found a boy that had what? Two fish and five loaves. All right, you can preach this thing. You know the story, right? So what do the disciples say to Jesus? Wow, thank God we have two pieces of fish and five loaves. With that, we can certainly minister to the 5,000, right? What did they say? Hmm? They didn't appreciate what they have in hand. They thought that what they had was not enough. Oh, come on. Pastor, that's not the same thing. You don't know my situation. I don't have to know your situation. God knows. Not only does God know, he deposited things in you that have the ability to multiply. In the kid's case, he was obedient. He had, maybe he wasn't. Maybe they just took it from him. I don't know. But the truth of the matter is, the two fish and the five loaves fed over 5,000 men, not counting women and children. And when all was said and done, there were over 12 baskets full of food. So when you think it's impossible, God's just getting started. That's why we have to be content, because in the place of contentment is the place of gratitude. I'm grateful for what I have. And only grateful people will see the hidden stuff that God has planted in them. When you're not grateful, there'll be stuff around you, but you you won't see solutions. You will see this that's, you know, it's not enough. This, I don't appreciate it. You won't appreciate the stuff, so God cannot multiply for you the things that you do not appreciate. That was a good good Twitter moment right there. God will only multiply the very things that you appreciate and thank him for. What did Jesus do? He took the fish and the loaves and did what? No, 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 no. He looked up, presented it to the Father and said what? He said, thank you. And then the multiplication process started. Amen. And then the next thing God did, or rather Jesus did, is he did not feed the people. He handed it right back to the disciples. And he gave them just enough to fill this row. Then they went back and he kept on handing little more, little more, little more, all from the same stuff. So what you think, I don't have enough, watch, give it out. Watch how God will multiply and give you more. Give it out, he'll give you more. Give it out, he'll give you more. Give it out, he'll continue to bless. He'll continue to multiply what you have. You won't see it all in one shot. They only saw five and two. But, but Jesus saw what? Thousands of pieces. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. You might just see a stump of wood somewhere, but a master sees a beautiful horse made of wood inside that same stump of wood. What's the difference? What's the difference? 
You got to see things that others can't see today. But you'll only see it from a place of gratitude, from a place of contentment. The next thing is how well we rule our spirit and control our emotions. That is probably one of the most difficult things for a human being to do. To control our spirit, to rule our emotions, and to control our tongue. It's one of the most difficult things for a human being to do. Hallelujah. But yet God calls us to do that, to rule our spirit. But in order to do that, we have to allow the maturity process in us. We have to allow God to confront us. The Spirit of God will confront you, by the way. He will. And He does this all the time. We're the ones that don't listen. We're the ones that say, no, no, I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to do it my way. I'm doing it my way. And then you slam yourself against the wall, then you blame God for it. No, we have to allow God to confront us. He says, daughter, son, this is an area you need to start taking control of. And he won't do it all in one shot. One thing I learned years ago is we have to give permission to the Holy Spirit to start showing us stuff. He wants to, but he's on standby. He's waiting for us to be ready. So when you go, Holy Spirit, reveal to me what I need to change. You will start getting it, boy. Woo-wee. He'll start opening up issues to you. He'll start saying, my daughter, look at this. My son, look at this. See, and then it's your responsibility to say, okay, God, I see it. I, I know I have this problem. Help me. And he'll give you the strength to be able to overcome that and to start shifting your life. And one of the areas is this area of ruling our spirit, controlling our spirit. Not so long ago, I, was, I had to be in a meeting where it was a very difficult person, and the difficult person was pretty much in control, and they had to do whatever they wanted, and I had to flow with their program. And I sat there, and after three minutes, I wanted to stand up and walk out of that room. Because in my experience, that person wasn't handling it properly. Have you ever been in that situation? But I knew that they were in charge. They had to, you know, pretty much uh, control the scenario. So I just sat there. Years ago, I would have stood up, I would have said, you don't know what in the world you are talking about. You don't know what you're doing, and I'm out of here. I'm serious, I would have done that. I know because I did in the past. But this time I sat there, I went, mm-hmm, yeah. Holy Spirit, help me. I just flowed with the program, and at the end I walked out, I said, you know, I'm kind of proud of myself today. Because I know what I would have done a couple of years ago. But it's a journey. It's a journey. It's a journey. But we have to ask the Holy Spirit to help us in that area. Another area is, well, let me, let me specify it, the tongue issue. We have to control our tongues. There's death and life in the power of our tongues. Before you talk, when you're upset, hold it off a bit. Muzzle yourself and think. Because the tongue will say stuff that later on you will regret. Anybody regret anything you've said uh, in the past? Oh, yes, sir. Look at me. Both my hands are up. So now, if they ask me about something or if I'm going through an issue, I now say, mm, should I say this? And I think about it. Some people say, is everything okay? Yes. I'm thinking. <laughs> so I don't want to say something that might come off the wrong way. And, you know, at, sometimes I'm a public speaker. Sometimes I go to places and I speak. And um, I have to be very careful. So what I do is I tend to write things out. I, th- I think it well thought out. Then I'll write it out. But in a conversation, sometimes they'll talk and I'm just listening. Now, in the past, 
when a person starts talking, I was already trying to respond to them. Has that ever happened to you? Yeah. That they're just talking and you, you're not listening to them, you just want to respond. Most, most human beings are that way. Look at it in your conversations. You talk to people and they're blah, 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 trying to talk. And after a while you got to say, hold on, let me finish what I'm saying, right? How about we become good listeners? And while they're talking, you're thinking, mm-hmm, thinking. Because when you speak, you're going you're gonna to let out life or death. So say to your neighbor, control that tongue. Say to the other neighbor, stop wagging it. Oh. <laughs> stop wagging that tongue. Praise God. Use it for love. Use it to edify people. Use it to get people saved. Hallelujah. Amen. The other issue is patience. Patience is a hard thing, especially in today's generation. Moving right along. Yeah, thank you. No, it's, it's an issue that we have to deal with today. Because we need to possess our souls with patience. You know, you have to be patient in God's dealings. Ah, you know, I prayed two weeks ago and still have no answer. Listen, sometimes God will not finish the process in 10 years. Yeah, I know, right? That's a lot of time. Well, look at David. David, uh, to get some, some of the prophetic words, it took almost 12, 20 years. Sometimes, you know, you have to wait. You have to be patient in Christ. You have to just endure the process, but like the sister said this morning, she said, in worship. Just worship your way. Worship your way through the process. Because in the process, you're going to get better. Somebody who said, man, when I get there, then I'll be happy. No, you won't, because you'll still want something else. By the time you get there, many times, you look at it and says, oh, is that all there is? So it's the journey you should learn to enjoy. Because in the journey, you're getting better. You're growing. You're developing more experience. You're developing more relationships. So say with me, it's the journey that helps me. See, once you got there, you got there. Michael Phelps got 23 you know, gold, man, and I think five silvers. But you know, everything from now on in his life is going to be anticlimactic. Yeah, I remember back four score and seven years ago, I got myself 23. You know, it's amazing. So now he'll realize how precious the journey was. It's just the way it is. So learn to enjoy the journey. So we have to master our thought life, you know, in your brain, in your mind. In your soul, you're hearing a lot of stuff all the time. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Our our minds are going 100 miles an hour. We need to tone that down and be clear and say, what am I hearing? Let me focus it in terms of what God desires for my life. Another thing is you're hearing things from your past. Remember, you want to do this, you want to do this. And then your flesh is talking to you also. I want this now. I want that piece of cake now. You know, I want to tell that person off now. I want to hate, I want to be angry, I want to hold a grudge. You know, our, our, we're always hearing communication, but we have to submit it to the Word of God. We have to submit it to the will of God. I want to hate now. No. I find myself in my mind, I say a lot, no. Many times, no. My, my body wants some, no. Or in Spanish, que no. I, I don't know if you say it that way. When you want to emphasize it, we say no. But, but, no, 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 que no. 
the emphasis in our minds. We have to say that to our flesh many times because our flesh wants to be spoiled. It wants to be pampered. But we have to bring it and submit it to the will of God. The next thing is how do you handle rejection? You didn't get what you wanted. We have to learn to be at peace with that. After you have done all, stand. After you've tried, you've given it your best, you know, put it in God's hands and keep on living. You're not going to get everything you want in life. It's just the way it is. So we have to get over it and keep on walking. Or, or maybe you get rejected now, but you keep on and later on you get the yes. So you just continue to be true to what God called you to do. So maturity is not based solely on what we know, but how we respond to situations and circumstances. See, how did I respond 10 years ago? Well, am I responding the same way now? No, God expects you to continue to grow in your response to situations and circumstances. Christianity forces us to face ourselves honestly. Most of us spend most of our life blaming others. I got two yeses and a lot of bad-looking faces at me right now. Yeah, we have to face ourselves. Christianity forces us to look. Say, Whoa, that was my fault. Whoa, I'm responsible for this. So if you're responsible, it means you could change outcomes in the future. I've said it before. I'll say it again. There's a saying that you make your bed, you got to lie in it, right? But how about if I don't like the way I made the bed, let me change the sheets. Let me change the pillow. You know what I'm saying? Change your responses now. It'll give you different outcomes later on. Hallelujah. As the Father sent me, I sent you. Say to your neighbor, you're sent ones. <clears throat> See? We are a blessing. Wherever we go, we should be, it's almost like oozing an atmosphere of peace, an atmosphere of the prophetic where people, because of you, because of the words you share, you know, because of your, your, your renewed thinking, as you give them a new perspective in life, they should be able to see a different picture by the time they met you. By the time they're finished talking with you, their mind should have been, oh, impact. Wow, I never saw it that way. Because the Spirit of God in you will cause people to see differently, will cause to see others see the way God sees. Amen? Amen? So I love that about the way God has given me the privilege to be able to speak a prophetic word. But guess what? That prophetic word that you have, what God is showing you, the way you're changing, that comes with a very powerful anointing. You want to know what that anointing is? It's called the root out, pull down, destroy, throw down, build, and plant anointing. Everyone, somebody say that three times real quick. When God spoke to Jeremiah... God says, I'm giving you a word, and I'm calling you to root out, pull down, destroy, throw down, build, and plant. I'm sure Jeremiah went, huh? First four things, if you notice about that, the first four things, it involves a type of cleaning house, a type of deliverance, as it were. When God's word comes to you, the first thing it's going to do is going to start rooting things down, pulling things down, rooting things out, rather, right? Destroying old things in your life. After the four things, then he starts to build and to plant. 
Have you ever seen, yes? It's easy for me. It's Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 7 through 10. But the beauty about it is that the first four things are very difficult things. And yet, if you look throughout all of building, that's usually what it entails. Have you ever, uh, oh, let me answer your question. Root out, pull down, destroy, and throw down. And then build and plant. Have you ever seen anybody, uh, or rather these, these sponsors, they'll take an old community, there's buildings there, has a, like a restaurant there, but everything's dilapidated. What's the first thing they do before they're going to build something new there? Exactly. They get rid of everything, all the garbage. But even before getting rid of the garbage, they go in there with bulldozers, and they root out, pull down, and destroy, and throw down. One of the things they do is, like you said, they start breaking everything down, and then they get rid of all the garbage. And what does that do? Well, it exposes a big gaping hole. Then they start digging downward to get rid of more stuff. What do they find? Old gas lines, old plumbing lines, old electrical lines, and in many cases, other things too. They find a lot of stuff hidden in history. Some people have actually found buildings or, yeah, dead folk. And, I mean, they find all sorts of crazy stuff. Once they hit bedrock, once they've done the four processes, then they begin the process of building up. See? So when God gets a hold of you, what's the first thing he starts to do? Root out, pull down, destroy, and throw down. That's how come when you first come to Christ, you feel a little bit out of sync because God's doing a new work in you. He's pulling out all the stuff that's no good for you. That's why in the New Testament it says that the Holy Spirit circumcises our heart. What is circumcision? It's cutting away. It's cutting away of stuff that's natural to man, but no good for his future. I've shared it before, but you might not have heard it before. When, when there's a circumcision, it's done in the part of the male that passes on the seed. That passes on the seed. When a man and a woman come together in intimacy, the man passes on the seed. The woman receives the seed. Right? And out of that comes life. But, uh, but when you cut away or circumcise, where is it circumcised? Or where does the doctor circumcise? Right in the place where the seed passes. No, no, I, I need for you to know that. That's a good question. So why does the word use circumcision as an example, both in the Old and in the New Testament? Because there were things that belonged to their old life and to their nature that were not beneficial before walking in to their inheritance. If they would have walked in with their mess into their new place, they would have messed up the new place. So when the man is passing the seed, you know, he needs to be, the, he needs to be circumcised so that it would be pure, right? And that's what happens. When, when God cuts away our sinful nature, when God cuts away the things that are natural to our past, it allows us now to walk into a better future. In a, in a new way, he cuts away for, from us our mindsets, the thoughts, 
that, that, that trouble us, that, that would hinder us, that would hurt us. That's why it's not a good thing to take a movie star that just gets saved and make him a preacher right away. Yeah, they don't know how to preach. What are they going to share? Stuff from their old life. They're going to pass their misery. They're going to pass their bad habits. They're going to pass their, their uneducated... Uh, I'm talking about in the Christian. In the Christian realm, they won't know how to get people delivered because they don't understand deliverance. They won't know how to lead people to Christ because they themselves don't know. You've got to allow people to pass through a process. So God calls us to help those out there. When they come in, what's the first thing they're going to experience? Pulling down, rooting out. And that's why we have to love them. And that's why we have to encourage them so that they could grow in Him. I'm, I'm giving you some good principles here. Not just for your life, but for you to help others. As God is building you up. Praise God. We're, we're called to walk, and I'm landing the plane now. We're called to walk with a brick in one hand, but a sword in the other. And at the same time, we might be cutting this one up and building this one up. It's depending on what level they're at. And that's good. That's, it's, 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 it's wonderful. It's called discipleship. It's called walking with people. What did Christ do in his earthly ministry? Did he come in and did he go to the country and build a beautiful uh, mansion? And everybody that wanted a word from the Lord had to go over there? What did he do? Actually, what's the first thing he did? Do uh, that's what's the first thing he do? Uh, did, what's the first thing that he did right after being baptized? He got himself some guys to hang out with. From the beginning, he started hanging out with men, mentoring them. Walk with me, I'll make you. Walk with me, I'll make you fishers of men. Right. So that's why in our Christianity we can't be alone. We should always have somebody that we're mentoring. We should always have somebody that we're helping to root this out and pull this out and help them in that process. And it's painful, so what do we do? We help them in that process. Anybody here ever been circumcised before? Don't answer, don't answer, don't answer. <laughs> it's painful. Your walk, what, what is your walk symbolic of? What is your walk symbolic of? Your journey, right? When you're walking, it's part of your journey, isn't it? Yeah. A man that gets circumcised, how does his walk look? <laughs> I'm making a point here. Because the Bible's using this example. In the Old Testament, when, when um, Joshua circumcised the men... The Bible says they had three days, they had to just hang out. They had to just lay low. They, they had to heal before they engaged the enemy, before they walked into their inheritance. So what I'm saying is a person might come into church, you might see them, they have a smile, but their heart is being circumcised because God's dealing with them. And they're in pain. They're in pain because they might have been hurt by somebody else, wounded. Uh, they might feel uh, disenfranchised by a situation. Uh, they might have lost a relationship, whatever it may be, but they're in pain. So we have to know how to carry a person that's in the process of being circumcised. Imagine a person just got circumcised, right? So come here, come on, let's go, let's go, let's go. Excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. Excuse me. And you be undiscerning and try to take them to a place that they're not ready.
We have to know how to walk with people, work with them, and, and be kind and tender with them so they can grow too. Remember, if you've been at this 10 years, you can't expect the person that's been here three months to have the same level of passion that you do or the same level of word knowledge. I love it to hear a, a new Christian pray. I love it when the new Christian prays. The other day we were here on a Wednesday, and one of our newer sisters came, and she prayed, and she just started talking to God. And man, let me tell you, it wasn't like my prayer. It wasn't, you know, Christianese. It wasn't Heavenly Father, I come before you in the name of Jesus, hallelujah. And then start quoting verses. No, she says, God, I need help, my family needs help, and, you know, and my sister's this, and my brother's this. I'm saying, go ahead, sis, go ahead, because he's here in your prayer. Amen. And I had no problem with that prayer. I enjoyed that prayer. But I'm sure I didn't enjoy that prayer as much as God enjoyed that prayer. Hallelujah. Come on, give him some praise. So, amen. So in closing, thank you for being patient with me and thank you for not saying amen to them. (laughs) Ephesians 3, 19. It says, may you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to fully understand. Then you'll be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Now, all glory to God, who is able, through his mighty power at work within us, to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Notice, in Christ, he does infinitely more than we might ask or think. In Christ, he can do more in and through you than you could ask or think. The question, the question, are you in Christ? Is Christ living in you now? Have you made that decision? Are you in Christ? Because that's the door that opens up the wellspring of this grace to be poured upon you. I'm not interested in you becoming religious. I'm interested in you being in Christ. Whoever comes to Christ, he does not push him away. See, so if we are in Christ, then these things are actively happening in your life. And at your degree, because you, you know the level you're at. But allow God to take you higher than you've ever gone before. Allow God to form things in you that this world needs right now. Hallelujah. And I'm talking spirit to spirit today. Because we are at a place, this world, this nation needs us to be in our A game right now. Amen. And in case, if you haven't come to Christ yet, today you need to come to Christ. Because there's some things that God wants to do in you and through you. There are people he wants you to reach. And plus, you need to be connected to his family. Praise God. 